You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Reading from Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 42 in the NIV. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Well, our passage today comes right in the middle, actually towards the end of a speech that Jesus is giving to his 12 disciples. This is his close crew that he's been preparing for a short-term mission they're about to go on. Now, we've covered this speech in our series so far, so you can go back and check out the talks we've done on it so far on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. Uh, But what we're looking at now is the end of this speech. Now, we already know about God's mission. We know that God's mission is about being him, being in loving relationship with people and people being in loving relationship with each other. And an extension of that would even be uh, people being in good relationship with the world he's created for us to live in. Now, The 12 disciples would already have known this. They've heard Jesus teaching about it. They've seen Jesus living it out. What Jesus focuses on in particular at the end of this speech is how central he is to God's mission. In fact, if I was to summarize this section of the speech, it would be Jesus saying, I am central to God's mission. We see this over and over again in this section. If you've got your Bible with me, with you, have a look at it with me. Verse 32, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So he's talking about a response to Jesus being essential as, in, as part of this mission. Then in verse 40, he says, Anyone who welcomes you, my disciples, uh, also welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, talking about his Father in heaven. So Jesus is sent by God the Father into the world. And then those who join in God's mission are actually like representatives of Jesus. And so when they're sharing the good news of the kingdom, then they're pointing to Jesus effectively. Now, he really pushes this idea of him being central to the mission and actually him being just central to our lives in general. So verse 38 and verse 39 are really profound examples of this. Listen to this. These words are not just for the 12. These actually sort of resonate to everyone, including us today. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is this idea which Jesus talks about often of putting down our own life. Now, to some extent, this is like being ready to actually physic, you know, put, put down your physical life, as in being ready to uh, put your life on the line. But it also is not just about you know, being ready to die. It's also about being ready to give up your plans, give up your desires, give up your dreams, and then so put those down and pick up the life that Jesus has given us to live. It's about making our relationship with Jesus priority number one, living his way above all other ways. Now, this, of course, has been a big challenge to anyone who's ever heard it throughout history. I would say it's probably especially a challenge to uh, people who live in cultures like we have in mainstream Australian culture, which has a big focus on individualism. When we have such a focus on the individual like we do in our culture, we really go, well, we're encouraged to think about ourselves as being the centre of the universe. Me being the most important person in my life. And my own happiness being the most important thing that I could possibly pursue. And so we tend to you know, applaud comments like, I've chosen to put myself first. We say, oh, wonderful, that's a wonderful thing to say. That's a positive thing for someone to say. We encourage people with comments like, it's okay to choose you. And if someone says, don't tell me how to live my life, we back them and we go, yeah, that's true. You stand up for yourself with that sort of thing. Now, if you've grown up in Australia, even if you might intellectually know that you're not the most important in the person in the universe, at a gut level, you probably believe that you are. <laughs> you know, this instinctively, that's sort of what we're taught. That's what we pick up as we grow up in Australia. So it's very radical to put other people first. It's very radical to put Jesus 
ahead of ourselves. Now, is Jesus allowed to do this? Like, is this okay for him to claim to be the number one priority in our life? Well, it's actually only okay for him to do this if he is who he says he is. You see, Jesus claimed to be more than just a normal person. He claimed to be God himself. He claimed to be sent from God the Father to be actually become uh, God in human form. 100% God, 100% human. So only if you are actually God are you allowed to demand that people put you as the number one priority in their life. If just another normal person like me or anyone else you've seen on the stream so far comes to you, you know, just your neighbour or anyone in your family comes to you and says, hey, you need to make me your number one priority in life. You need to, make, you need to live my way ahead of all other ways. Don't do it. <laughs> you don't have to because they're just a normal person and they don't have the right to demand that of anyone because they're just equal to everybody else. So it's only if Jesus was truly God, is truly God, that he's allowed to demand this. He's allowed to call us to put him number one. Now, because uh, if, if he's not, he's a liar and he's a narcissist. He's way too into himself. Now, this, of course, is one of the great faith claims of Christianity. So I can't prove to you right now that he is God. Uh, it's one of those things that we put our trust in. Um, but if he is, then it's okay for him to do it. So in summary, we could say that Jesus is sent as God in human form. He then sends other people. In this case, he's sending the 12. Jesus is acknowledged. Jesus is welcomed. Those who accept Jesus are rewarded. We see that in verse 41 and 42. And those who disown or reject Jesus don't receive a reward. Now, that's the summary of this section of the speech, but there are some pretty intense verses in here, which, as we had them read, might have sort of got your attention, raised your eyebrows. And so we're going to look at them in a bit of detail because I've had some discussions about these verses over the years in life group type situations where things got pretty flustered, pretty fired up, and in fact, some of these verses have been used by people who uh, anti-Christianity, uh, sort of as ammunition against uh, Christianity and, and in particular against Jesus. So let's have a look at them. When we get a bunch, well, when we get any verses like this, it's important to acknowledge that and it's important to look at them in a bit of detail. So the first one in particular is one that certainly raises a few eyebrows. So let's have a look at it. Verse 34. Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, if you're familiar with some of the other teaching of Jesus, you might be going, uh, back up a bit, Jesus. What's going on here? What happened to all the peace talk that you've been banging on about? Like chapter 5? When you were up on the mountain inspiring people, you said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In fact, even just a little bit earlier in this particular speech that you're giving here in chapter 10, you're talking about going and visiting people in their houses. And you said to the disciples, as you enter the home, 
give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Sounds quite peaceful. What about that whole sort of non-violent stuff about if someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Or the whole thing of like praying for your enemies. You are all about peace and all of a sudden you're saying, no, no peace, let's get the sword out instead. And of course, critics of Christianity come out and say, this is classic Christianity. They love, Christians love to say they're all about love and forgiveness and getting along and peace, but their Bible's full of violence and full of hatred and full of war, and they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And what they love to do is just pick and choose the verses in the Bible that make them look good and make them look loving, but it's actually full of the opposite. Jesus himself was a hypocrite, and they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And this particular verse is one that critics of Christianity love to turn to. In fact, when it comes to the peace stuff, this is the one that I, I've heard used the most as far as criticizing Christianity. So when we come to this, let's take a deep breath. Let's have a look at the verse, see what's going on, look at it in context, watch Jesus actually getting at. In English, the English translation, and in the original language, there is no reason to think that this sword reference is about war or about like charging around stabbing people. It's very clearly about division, like about actually slicing something in two. And that makes sense of the verses that follow where these relationships are divided into two. You have two people who are in a relationship and then they're split apart. So this sword is not so much about like, ah, yeah, getting you, kill, kill. It's about division. Nonetheless, Jesus does very clearly say, I have not come to bring peace on earth. <laughs> right, so is he contradicting himself? Because it does seem at other parts in the Bible, he is about peace. So what is going on? Well, Here's my understanding of it. Let me give you a bit of summary, having sort of researched it and, and done the work beforehand. I don't think there's any doubt that Jesus overall is pro-peace. As in, he thinks peace is a good thing, people getting along, treating each other well, living in harmony is good. We'll look at Jesus' teaching across the board, yes, he loves peace. And he is against war. Thumbs down to war. It is bad. Killing People killing each other, attacking each other, hating each other is bad. I think that's completely consistent with Jesus' teaching. What's he saying here? I think what he's saying is that his mission on earth, the reason he came, was not to bring an end to all conflict. You know, his good news about the kingdom, his message of God's kingdom which he'd been spreading around and been teaching on and demonstrating through his actions, was not actually going to bring an end to all conflict. The, the kingdom is sometimes nicknamed by some people as the upside-down kingdom, which can be really helpful in understanding this. You see, what Jesus said was, hey, you see what often happens in human society, how we push people to the edge of our communities, sometimes because they're poor, because they're widowed or they're orphaned or because they're sick or because they've done things that we consider to be wrong and we don't really want to forgive them. And Jesus would say, we should change that. 
the wealthy people should use their money to help the poor people. The powerful people should use their power to serve those in need. We should help the sick. We should heal the sick. We should forgive those who have done wrong. We should love our enemies and seek to bring people back into the heart of the community. Now, at times, this did lead to peaceful outcomes and amazing transformation, but not all the time. Sometimes we don't want to give up our power. Sometimes we don't want to give away our money. Sometimes we don't want to forgive people. We'd prefer to take revenge. And so as much as Jesus' message of the kingdom sometimes did bring about peaceful outcomes, other times it actually increased the conflict because some people really hated the idea of putting Jesus number one, living his way above all else. They hated that idea and they responded angrily and sometimes violently. And so he's acknowledging that this is a radical, controversial message that he's bringing to the world and it's not always going to be responded to well. It's going to bring division. And he uses the example of division in families uh, in quite a sort of in-your-face sort of way. And these are some other verses that really might have ruffled your feathers as we read them. Verse 35, he says, For I have come to turn, and here he quotes from the Old Testament, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Now, this is a quote from the prophet Micah, specifically Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Now, the disciples who he's giving this speech to, they would have known this book well. They would have known about Micah. And Micah lived during a period in God's people's history that was very sinful, very rebellious. And Micah said of that time that people didn't know who they could trust. They couldn't even trust members of their own family. And he said it was so hard to know who to trust, all he could do was to look to the Lord for help. And so Jesus quoting that time goes, such a tumultuous time, who do you even look to? Now, when Jesus is saying that and going, this is the sort of division that the kingdom might bring about. If you've had a really happy family life, you know, overall your experience of family has been great, very loving, very peaceful, you might find this really difficult to come to grips with. I go, Jesus, what on earth? Why would you be saying this? Really, is this, is this what you think is going to happen? Hard to relate to. However, if you've had a difficult family life, more dysfunctional experience of family, you might find it all too easy to relate to. You might be going, yeah, I get it. Like, that's been my experience. I understand how families can divide like that, uh, perhaps over much, you know, much similar issues, big issues, small issues, families can divide. So the reality is this message that Jesus and his disciples took to the world did do exactly what Jesus is saying it was going to do. The Jewish community was divided by this message. And this sort of thing continues to happen today. A number of years ago, I was doing a mission exposure trip in Egypt, and I met a Christian bishop, an Egyptian bishop, who mainly spent time talking to Muslim people about Jesus. 
And he said that whenever he got a sense that a Muslim person might be about to become a follower of Jesus, he would organize passports and visas for that person so that if they needed to flee the country, they could. Because it was very common for that person's own family to try and kill them if they found out that they'd become a Christian. This is what it's like in some parts of the world for people to become a follower of Jesus. Now, it's not quite that intense, usually not that intense in Australia. Nonetheless, I've had friends who have been mercilessly bullied, teased, ridiculed for becoming a Christian by their own family, uh, have been removed from the inheritance, told they can't see nieces and nephews because they've become a Christian. So not only do people not want to follow, not want to put Jesus number one in their own life, they get very angry when somebody else does as well. Now I should point out, this is not always the case. Other people are very respectful, very accepting of those uh, decisions, but there are these cases where it does cause division and it can be very, very painful situations. Now, we should also point out that as Jesus is telling the disciples this, I'm sure it's not delighting him. Please don't think of him as going, I've come to turn a father against his son and a daughter against her mother, you know, and like, and you know, maniacal eyes like a villain. Like, this is not what he's on about. He's not being, a, being crazy and you know, thinking this is an awesome thing. He's simply telling them how it is. Earlier on in the speech, he's told them the good stuff. He said, we're going to be sharing good news. There's going to be healing. There's going to be miracles. Evil is going to be driven back. And also, there's going to be conflict. And also, there's going to be division. There will be people of peace, but not everyone will be peaceful. Even though you come in peace, you won't always receive peace back. Now, verse 37 might be the one that really got your attention. Like this is the one that some people have found very difficult and, of course, uh, nearly everyone has to grapple with at one point or another. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And when we first hear this, we go, is Jesus telling us that we can't love our mum and dad, or we can't love our kids if we're a parent. I, I think we can actually work through this one reasonably easily, actually. It got this emotional, emotional punch up front, but I think we can relax. You can still love your mum and dad. And parents, you can still love your kids. This is about priority. If we go back to this idea of Jesus being number one, again, he's only allowed to do this, do this if he is actually God. If he is, then we put him number one. Now, here's the thing. If you do that, if you make Jesus number one in your life, you are actually commanded to love your neighbours, which would include, you know, loving your neighbours, loving the people around you, which would include your family. So if you put Jesus number one, you are commanded to love your family. If you don't put Jesus number one, you're not commanded to love your family. You don't have to. If it gets difficult, you can just stop. If they're not particularly lovely people, you don't have to love them. But if we put Jesus first, we are. So I would argue 
that putting Jesus first pushes us, prompts us, calls us to a deeper kind of love, a more challenging love, one that challenges us to love our families and other people through harder times when things get difficult. And so you don't need to feel guilty that like, oh, if I'm following Jesus, I'm not loving my family as much as other people. I would argue that you're actually going to be loving your family potentially a much deeper, greater level because of the type of love that we're called to in following Jesus. Anyway, there's a few challenging verses. I don't pretend that I've covered every angle on this. This is one of those talks that could go for two hours and the first draft probably did. <laughs> uh, but hopefully I've at least sort of pointed this in a few directions that could prompt some conversations that you can have with others afterwards. Honestly, I have to say, the end of this speech that we've looked at today, it, it is a bit grim, you know, like it's really about the hard parts of mission. And you might be wondering, why did the 12 go on the mission after all these hard things that Jesus said was going to happen? So I thought about this and I went back and I looked over, you know, the, the preceding chapters uh, that lead up to Matthew chapter 9. There's lots of reasons why they would have. They've seen Jesus do lots of powerful things, amazing miracles, healings. They've seen him do forgiveness in incredible ways that I imagine would have been quite transformative for them. They've seen the upside-down kingdom in action and in Jesus' teaching just in amazing ways. And I think they would have been really getting a sense of just how amazing this vision of the upside down kingdom really is. And I imagine they would have been very excited about that, highly motivated about sharing this news of the upside down kingdom with Jesus at the centre. So here's the reality, right? When you become a Christian, it's really, really good. Like you get amazing benefits from joining in this movement of the upside down kingdom. It's a great blessing to become a Christian. If you're not a Christian and you're watching now, I guarantee you, your life will be better if you follow Jesus because he's good and living his way is better. It's profoundly better, guaranteed. But I'm also grateful that he's honest that it is challenging and that it doesn't mean everything will be perfectly smooth and awesome all the time. And what we get in this speech from Jesus is both. If we look back across the whole speech, we start off with how great things are and all the, all the wonderful things about it, and we also see some of the challenges. And the reality is, for us as imperfect, sometimes weak, sometimes broken people, if we're going to join in on this mission, we do need his help. If we're just going to like put on our strong face and our positive mindset, that's not going to be enough. We're going to need God's help to engage in this mission. So I'm going to say a short prayer for us now, all about that. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your upside down kingdom. It's the best. It's a vision for the world that is exactly what we need. And we know joining in on your mission brings with it that challenge. We need to give things up in order to be a part of it, and it's not always going to be accepted. And honestly, Lord, sometimes... 
we won't want to do it. And maybe there's people watching right now who feel the weight of the challenge and feel it might be too big. We need your help. We can't do it without you. So please fill us with your spirit. Encourage us. Equip us. Pick us up when we're down. Help us when we're tired. Encourage us when we're discouraged. We can't do it without you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. 